Hello, this is Marion Rose, and I'm so excited to be talking today to Aletha Salter, PhD. Welcome, Aletha. Hi, Marion. Good to see you. Good to talk to you again. It's so lovely to talk to you again. And uh, I want to introduce you, for those of you not familiar with your work, you are the founder of the Aware Parenting Institute mm -hmm. and the author of five books The Aware Baby, Tears and Tantrums, Cooperative and Connected, Attachment Play, and um, Raising Drug Free Kids. All amazing books. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for, for Aware Parenting. It's the most wonderful thing. And I'm so excited today to be talking with you about the history of parenting and aware parenting in that context so nice. such a such a wonderful juicy topic to be talking it about is. <laughs> yes <laughs> mm -hmm. mm, so how far how far back do we go when we're talking about the history um, well we can start with um prehistoric times if, <laughs> if you want i mean we don't know a whole lot about that we don't know a whole lot about prehistoric times but we do i mean there's evidence people think um, that it was probably what we would call today attachment style parenting yes. probably you know living in caves or whatever the, the mothers probably held the baby's clothes and breastfed and they, they wouldn't have put them probably co-slapped and you know just for safety if nothing else so um yeah so, and, and I think often I tend to look to more indigenous cultures nowadays to see, you know, imagining what probably did happen um, before pre-industrialization mm -hmm. in, in most cultures that, you know, that the closeness was a key thing and for safety as well, as you talk about, I, I talk, I talk about that in sleep, that, that, yes. that feeling of closeness being so um, pivotal, pivotal to that feeling of safety to be able to yeah. go to sleep. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. And then, well, from ancient civilizations, I mean, starting with, I know most, I'm going to focus on, you know, Western civilizations, European culture, um, the ancient Babylonians, the ancient Greeks, the Romans, there's evidence that their child rearing methods were very punitive, with lots of corporal punishment. And, um, you know, when our records begin that's what we have evidence of so um yeah and then so it goes back a long time this that that punitive way of parenting doesn't it it's a lot of, it's yeah. of years of of responding to yeah. children in those harsh ways yeah yeah there's a book called the history of childhood uh, do you know that book it's is by that lloyd demouse yes yeah lloyd demouse or demouse um it's kind of depressing <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, it's so basically child rearing in the past was we would call it abuse nowadays most of what parents did in the past and um and then in the well i'll jump to the middle ages in europe when um there was whipping children were regularly whipped spanked smacked um there were locked in closets tied to their beds um they had a, a knife called a goad they used to prick children's ears with them actual you know really torture. Uh, whips called the cat of nine tails was one of the whips <laughs> and um 
Oh, and they used to bring them to public executions, children, hangings and the like, and show them this is what happens to you if you misbehave, you know. Um, if, if the family was, was Catholic, they would, they would show them graphic pictures of hell. Um, you know, it was, it was very frightening for children. Um, so that's pretty depressing. That's pretty depressing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. And then, and then in addition, there's, there's an interesting thing that happened like in the Middle Ages, starting around the 13th century, um, the Catholic priests apparently first started recommending that mothers stop sleeping with their babies. Mm-hmm. Started that early. And the re- and this was probably, I, it was probably caused by the rise of patriarchy. This was when women, independent women who had um, healing, who were good at the healing arts were burned as witches sometimes. Yeah. It was during this period. Um, so they were worried about too much female influence on, on especially on male influence, uh, on male infants. Yes. Um, and so by the 14th, 15th centuries, Cradles and cribs were, were very common all over Europe by then. Most homes had a cradle, a crib, cot, some separate place for the baby. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting, the paintings, I have a colleague in Switzerland who's written a very interesting book on this. Um, the, the, the religious painting, the, the Christian paintings from the early Middle Ages to the later Middle Ages, the very early Middle Ages, they show... Um, Mary with the infant Jesus uh, in her arms. In the later Middle Ages, the infant Jesus is separate. Wow. On, in, a sep- in a separate area. So the baby is in a separate area on the, on, in, a, in, a, well, in a cradle on the floor. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. on the floor. Yeah. And there's often no visual contact between the mother and the baby. Wow, so amazing, isn't it, to see that that correlation between the, the the bigger, wider beliefs about human beings, which I think is so beautiful about your work, and and how related that is to parenting. And I think that's what Lloyd Demel's talked about, and Robin Grill as well in his his one of his books, how how closely linked those are, that parenting and the wider culture, so so correlated. Yeah, yeah. So then see what happened next. Um, well, the Industrial Revolution around 1750, yes. which started a whole big shift. People went to work with the mills and the factories. And so that, that started the destruction of the extended family. So we had isolated like nuclear families living alone without, they didn't have the built-in grandma or grandpa or aunts and uncles. And so that was the beginning of even worse things, in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the whole the whole concept of spoiling stems from from that time. Oh, I really, yeah, yeah. Because um, there wasn't enough help for the mother, uh, and there were often many children. And early weaning um, started. Um, they they. They even introduced solid, start introducing solid foods early and earlier, sometimes as early as two weeks. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
the basic discipline goal was to break the will of the child. Okay. So it was still pretty abusive. Yeah. Do you know, I was actually looking in um, your gorgeous book, Tears and Tantrums, yesterday, and, and you quoted in there, because I was looking, and you're going to talk about this, I'm sure, about tantrums, but you were talking, there was a, a quote from a book published in Germany in 1748, which was all about you know, will, willfulness and the breaking of the child's will. And yes, it's yeah. just so, so scary, isn't it, to, yeah. to be reading? Yeah, They're really scary. And then... Well, around the mid 1800s, 1850, some nursing bottles were invented. So then that was the, the breastfeeding started to decline. And by, by the mid 20th century, there were actually not much breastfeeding in Europe. And also in the, in the countries, very countries that Europe, Europeans colonized, of course, that, that whole influence european influence got to lots of different countries including the u.s and australia um so then then mothers oh okay okay then then came the 20th century i think the next big change was the you know awareness of infections so then they had the hospital central nursery and births had to take place in hospitals it was safer and supposedly and um and infants were isolated and separate from their mothers uh, very early, right after birth, because um, of fear of infections. So that led to the deplorable child-rearing methods of the first half of the 20th century. Um, and then, okay, then, then came World War II, and things started to change after World War II. Yeah, yeah that's when really, Things and, and one of the one of the big changes influences was John Bowlby's work and attachment. Yay! Yay. <laughs> um, can I can I even pause you for a moment? Can I ask you to pause? Because I'm I'm also wondering whether bringing in also wet nursing was really common, wasn't it? Was that was that kind of eighteenth nineteenth century again in yeah. Europe and in the often in the upper classes where babies would be sent away often for months or years, weren't they? To yeah. to yeah to families and often that had a big impact on the on the, the mother the, sorry the woman who breastfed the the upper class woman's um baby and the impact on her yeah child yes. children yeah wet nursing <clears throat> that was very popular among wealthy upper upper wealthier people um there's no upper class or woman from nobility who would have even dreamed of, of breastfeeding her own child and it was they were sent to wet nurse and they didn't see them for two years. They didn't see their babies for two years. Often they lived on a village or in a farm. They had other children. And it nobody understood the importance of early attachment or why you would want to be with this baby who just cries and sleeps and feeds and you know, you know, bring my baby back to me when when she's more of a person oh, so yes can, can talk can can has a mind it's such that devaluation isn't it of feelings and the body and the, that 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 valuation of the mind which i really think comes from that as you talk about the romans and the greeks and you know way back even before that that you know that feelings are you know bad and needs are bad and yeah, <laughs> yeah. so then so then after bowlby so then there, there of course there was mary ainsworth research the trains Strange situation research about it, different styles of attachment, different kinds of attachment, and yes. um, 
And then all sorts of exciting things happened. Yay! Great, isn't it? After the 50s and 60s and 70s, lots of great things happened. Yeah. Starting the 1970s, um, okay, so we had Jean Leelock's book, Continuing Concept. Yay! Um, William Sears coined the term attachment parenting. Yes. I think he was actually, I think he was actually influenced by um, the continuum concept. Was he? Yeah. Um, we had the revival of breastfeeding with La Leche League, and yes. breastfeeding support groups in many countries. Yay! Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I think, um, you know, the psychologist Carl Rogers, uh, who had a huge influence and you know who studied with Carl Rogers? Both Thomas Gordon and Marshall Rosenberg both studied with Carl yes. Rogers. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you were very influenced by Thomas Gordon. I've been very interested by Marshall Rosenberg. And uh, that key, isn't it? The, the client-centered work that was really based on being with the, the other person rather than the, the therapist or the, the expert being the, the one yeah. that's leading. Yeah. Yeah. Carl Rogers' whole concept client-centered therapy and what do you call it? unconditional positive regard and um and so these these ways of communicating with children that like active listening and eye messages <clears throat> that actually from thomas gordon and then marshall rosenberg it actually was they were actually both influenced by carl rogers work yeah, yeah. and that i i do think i think that thomas gordon was probably the first to write a book really saying why punishment is bad although i may be wrong it's the first book i oh really aware of. Yeah. Um, was that was that there's one which was that was that child child self-esteem there was one was that the um, one parent effective uh oh, parent, effectiveness parent, parent effectiveness training yeah yeah mm. yeah he um yeah that inspired me his book very nice i thought wow you know, I knew I didn't want to punish when my kids were born, and I didn't. Yes. And it was, I didn't know if there were any books that, that really said how to parent that way. And then I discovered Thomas Gordon's book. Wow, you're totally supporting. He's totally supporting a non punitive approach here. That's what he was writing about. So yes. that, was, that was wonderful to discover his work. Um, so then we've moved, got things gotten better and better since then, in my opinion. And uh, there's, there's increasing awareness of children's emotions, of the impact of early trauma, of um, attachment needs. Um, you know, there's, we've got, we've got neurophysiology research, brain research, uh, research on the impact of different child rearing masses, research on disadvantages of punishments and rewards. Um, thanks to Alfie Cohn's work. Amazing. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and all the pre and perinatal psychology work as well, yeah. really understanding that the time in utero and, and birth has a profound impact on, um, yeah. on babies and that we can see that in a baby's behavior, which you talk about so beautifully in the way, new way baby. Yeah, yeah, the, um, the development of pre and perinatal psychology. And so we're realizing that babies can be, hurt, stressed, traumatized, even before birth. Birth can be traumatic, how this impacts babies, their behavior and their emotions, and then how to help 
babies heal, there's more awareness of that. So there's still, you know, there's still a lot of parenting programs out there that claim to be non-punitive. I mean, obviously still people recommend spanking and all corporal punishment. I think that's getting less and less. But there's still programs that claim to be non-punitive, but it's it's what I call sugar-coated authoritarianism. (laughs) 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 Because um, they talk about rewards. They talk about, you know, withdrawal of privileges or time out or... Uh, they say, oh, no, no, this isn't punishment. This is just consequences, you know. So, but they, you know, they're, they're, like the trend is in the right direction from, from certainly from the past, you know, we've gotten better. Yeah. Things are getting better. I think so, definitely. I often <laughs> like to think about paradigm shifts and if you think about things like Copernicus and just, you know, actually realizing <laughs> the, the, what the earth is and its relation to the sun and, and how long that took actually for people to, for that, that paradigm to come into people's consciousness. And I think it's similar with parenting. It takes time for, for, the, for the newer ways, which are kind of like the older ways, aren't they? Pre the, pre the Romans and pre all that colonization, which spread all that disconnection and punishment and harshness. It's like almost yeah. in some ways reclaiming those mm-hmm. more... Um, innate and ancient ways of being with babies and children. Yeah. So we're sort of returned to the prehistoric times in a way with attachment parenting. Yes. Um, but I think we, we we're doing a lot better than probably prehistoric times. And I think we're probably doing better than uh, indigenous cultures around the world. We just have so much more information on, on healing, how, how babies and children heal now. So, mm. particularly in terms of the um, the the ways and the mechanisms for for healing from stress and trauma, which I think possibly weren't necessarily known in prehistoric times. Probably not. We don't know. But uh, yeah, maybe they were. <laughs> maybe they did know it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. And I think often that that differentiates, isn't it, aware parenting from other paradigms. Is that really that extra piece? And I know for me that was the extra piece when I first came across your work 18 years ago and to that, that not only all the attachment theory work mm-hmm. and the understanding of pre and perinatal psychology, but this piece that babies do come into the world able to release and heal from stress and trauma right from birth. I remember that being like a, the biggest aha mm-hmm. moment for me. So... It's, it's, yeah yeah right so yeah so the crying itself though the history of crying has uh, has a kind of its own interesting history it's like it i mean we know that crying has been repressed for 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 millennia and uh, um, one thing i know is about the ancient ancient greece the greek physician galen galen um who recommend opium Opium, opium for fussy babies, okay. Um, and drugs have been used to calm uh, crying babies for really for centuries. In the Middle Ages in Europe, they the, the wet nurse. We just talked about wet nurses near their nipples. Yes. Opium, 
lotions containing opium on their nipples when they nursed these babies. So the babies would just fall asleep and, you know, and also become addicted. <laughs> and some of them died from overdose, opium overdose. Yeah, it was possible to obtain a prescription for a, something called Winslow Soothing Syrup. Mm. Um, <laughs> this, this was a, something that contained uh, opium, okay. Um, in the United States, as recently as I think the beginning of the 20th century, without a prescription, to calm fussy babies. Mm. And um, people gave alcohol to fussy babies. They would um, prepare them teething rags or sag and dip them in alcoholic cider, give them to the babies. Oh, they would put poppy seeds with sugar. Poppy seeds, that's a source of opium, of course. Give them to babies to chew on uh, so they wouldn't cry. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, and as as I hear you speak, I often find it's really helpful to to know the history, and that's why I so value you talking about this because I think it really helps us as parents be compassionate with ourselves when we're wanting to practice aware parenting to realize how why it makes so much sense. It can be so hard at times to listen to the feelings of our baby or child because there's this whole long lineage, and often for as you say, thousands of years where where you know feelings have been everything's been done to accept to actually be present and listen to the feelings so i really appreciate you sharing this yeah yeah it's hard we're undoing a few millennia of of, yes. you know, <laughs> of bad parenting practices which are understandable people wanted to sleep they wanted to, they had lots of children they just wanted to survive and yep. let's give drugs to the babies you know get them to sleep mm -hmm. so yeah, and then another another thing of interest of you know temper tantrums. Okay, so <laughs> temper tantrums. In, like in the Middle Ages in Europe, um, if if the, if the child had a lot of temper tantrums, um, there was a common belief that the child was possessed by a demon. Okay, and if if the family was Catholic, okay, they would bring. The child to a priest who would try to do an exorcism they actually thought the children were possessed and they do look that way i mean a child in a two-year-old having a temper tantrum i can see where that belief comes from they, they really don't respond normally they they're ranting and raving they're thrashing around making a lot of noise i can understand where that belief came from but if the exorcism didn't work the the parents are supposed to beat the devil out of the child. And that's, there's that expression that we still have, beat the devil out of Oh, is there? Is that, I haven't heard the of that. Expression in the US. Wow. Yeah. wow. In the US, there's that, beat the devil out of them. Comes from way back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. So, and again, just, you know, so much compassion for everyone watching or listening. It's, it's, you know, these are painful things to really realize that humans yes. and, you know, parents have been doing to children, again, for millennia and, and thinking that it's the, the best possible thing for the child. You know, of course, if you think that the demon or the devil is in your child and you're, you know, you're taking to the priest and that's helpful, you know, often there are so many, you know, it's the parents are seeing them the best possible thing. They're just not understanding really what's actually happening. 
when that is is happening to the child yeah yeah and then well see by the 18th century children who had tantrums they're they were still thought to be willful and wicked maybe not possessed anymore but wicked willful yes. strong willed and and that's uh, and we talked about breaking the will of the child that's one reason that belief um, started from then because um, it's centered around tantrums and and then later on, by the 19th to 20th century, that's when the concept of spoiling came in. Children who cried a lot, who had tantrums, were maybe not wicked anymore, but spoiled, manipulative. Um, so gradually, from being possessed to willful, wicked, spoiled, manipulative, there's a gradual shift in how parents interpret these behaviors, okay, temper tantrums. Um, and the difference, differences in responding to them. Um, but still there was, the, the belief was that uh, this should not be allowed. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And then the whole cried out approach came, you know, there was this per educator, so-called Luther Emmett Holt, who recommended the, the cried out approach or what controlled crying approach. Yes. And Dr. Spock, 20th century recommended that yeah. too. Um, and there's still books that recommend that. Leave babies alone to cry. You shouldn't, you shouldn't give in. You shouldn't, you know, they've got to learn to self-settle, self-soothe, you know, put themselves to sleep. They, it's that whole belief. Uh, very sad. Very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Devastating. Yeah. Hmm. So, and then things got better. <laughs> I, mean, I, I'm, I was trying to think of when things shifted here around awareness of crying. And I think it shifted with, um, you know, with primal therapy, you know, Jana, yeah. in, the, in the 70s, okay. Um, other kinds of deep feeling therapies, awareness of crying being maybe therapeutic for adults. And being able to heal that way, uh, some of that catharsis, some of that came from psychoanalysis too. Um, and then gradually started, I think, realizing that children too can benefit, especially in, in um, you know, if there's been a loss. Okay. <coughs> and then, and then we finally realized that babies too. Babies too can benefit from crying, from stress release crying. So now um, we know that babies can benefit from birth. And uh, we know now that babies benefit from being held when they cry. It doesn't mean they're spoiled. It doesn't mean they're manipulating us. And so the crying in arms approach, which is my term, which is really fairly new in terms of history of humanity yeah. yes yeah so we've gone from you know the, the last step is oh oh the terms for babies crying it goes from it goes from um manipulative colic the term colic was used for a long time yes. the current term is now regulatory disorder um mm -hmm. and but in my work it's 
I see it as stress release. Stress release crying. It's not a disorder at all. There's nothing wrong. And uh, and yeah. that's kind of kind of almost been the history, hasn't it, of this of this last two thousand plus years is is seeing that there's something wrong with babies and children and feelings and needs and closeness and <laughs> and behavior and actually again what I love about aware parenting is to, to me it has such deep trust in babies and children and that they know what they need they know how to heal and they're actually try, constantly trying to communicate that to us and often it's us because of our own um, cultural conditioning that are um, being invited by our babies and children to to release that conditioning to actually see mm -hmm. that, that they know what they need they know how to heal they know how to really stress and we're the ones that actually need to learn from them and that there's nothing wrong with them in, in most right. cases. I mean, yeah. There is yeah. sometimes, but in most cases, there's actually, that's what's beautiful and healing and, and healthy about them, isn't it? Yeah. That, yeah. Babies know how to heal. And that's a fairly new concept um, that we finally come to realize, you know, um, I want to do something else about tantrums. Yes. This whole concept of regulatory disorders. There's a fairly new psychiatric diagnosis for children who have a lot of tantrums and disruptive mood dysregulation disorder or DMDD. And this is very unfortunate in my opinion, because again, there's no no mention of maybe this child is very stressed or maybe there's unhealed trauma. And um Unfortunately, it's being treated with behavioral therapy or, or psychiatric medication. This is sad. So in the one way, we're moving forward. Another way, there's, there's still, you know, <laughs> there's still these other interpretations for crying, uh, which are still with us. Yes. It's almost like the, 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 the way sometimes it's kind of... Uh, change the wording and change the form but it's kind of the same you know like the opium it's, it's kind of change or you know it's it's still a judgment of the of the behavior it's still seeing there's something wrong it's still yeah. doing everything possible to stop that it's just doing it in a kind of um new in, way in a way yeah yeah we're giving psychiatric medication to kids who have tantrums instead of trying to do an exorcism okay <laughs> so. yeah yeah mm. and of course there are some cases where it isn't you know uh, and i know this is a, the key it's not always there for some children there are um uh physiological things at oh, play. Yeah. it's not always that so we want to put that in as a, <laughs> as a, give, a given we're not saying that every yeah. every child who who has been diagnosed with these is it it's always stress and trauma but that that is you know something that we can consider in those cases right. that often isn't considered. Yes. Ah, it's often put in those little caveats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. I mean, I do recommend in my work that, you know, if, if parents have a, a baby who cries a lot or a yes. child who really is screaming all day long, you know, they're, they haven't checked out. Maybe yes. And, yes. Um, there might, might be something physical going on. Yes. And, and uh, you can't just assume, oh, they're healing from stress and trauma. Yeah. yeah. It's really, and again, this is where parenting is so much about 
meeting a child's needs. I mean, that's, that's always a thing we're checking out before we're assuming that there's releasing or healing happening is like, are all the needs met? And that's, of course, all the physical and physiological needs that we're, that we're holding that as a, as a baseline first. So. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Wow. I so appreciate you sharing us and all your knowledge of all these pieces. I, again, I think it's so helpful for parents because I think often we just see ourselves as being in the time that we're in. And if we don't realize the history, it's, it's kind of just how things are often, isn't it? It's just, this is just how things are rather than seeing it as, as part of this long lineage that we've been a part of. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a long evolution of parenting <laughs> very interesting i find it very interesting yes yeah. again makes sense of why it can be so hard at times to be to be practicing these uh, these ways of connection and listening to needs and listening to feelings and trusting children yeah because often not only we not only we weren't as children but <laughs> some of us weren't but you know our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents weren't so yeah yeah it takes a while to to make a change i mean it takes i think more than just one generation <laughs> i mean we're i think i mean the parents the parents i work with they're they're all doing better than the way they were raised okay and i'm sure their parents did better than the way they were raised and um my son's doing a better job than I did. <laughs> you know, it's like things, things are getting better. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it gets easier, doesn't it? And I think that's a really helpful thing as well. I think a lot of people I speak to want to practice aware parenting. They have some idea that they're going to do it in some kind of perfect way. They're going to go from what they received to some kind of idea of perfection. And again, I think having this historical knowing and seeing the aim is more about being part of the evolutionary process rather than getting to some idea of perfection. I think it's so much more, you know, relieving for parents yeah. to know that. Yeah. Yeah. I tell parents, um, you know, um, good parenting does not come naturally. So what comes naturally is to parent the way we were parented. That's what comes naturally. Okay. <laughs> That's our first reaction usually, especially when we're stressed or, screaming in the middle of the night we're gonna i mean the automatic response when we do what our parents did with us yes. unless we really make an effort to change and to think and okay what's going on with me what's going on with my child to be willing to take more information be willing to experiment a little bit we need to experiment and uh, just be open to trying different things and we need to heal from our own childhoods all part of it lots of lots of compassion <laughs> and i remember one of our previous conversations we talked about yeah we can always repair and i think that's helpful to remember as well that in a way parenting all these beautiful specific ways that we can repair if we have parented in a way that we were parented in that we can always do that it is it's never too late it's never too late to repair our mistakes and to strengthen our connection with our children and to, to start healing and to help our children start healing it's um you know you can you can uh start healing at, at age 50 or 60 or 70 but yeah. life is easier though yes <laughs> life is much easier when we can help our children heal right from day one yes. uh, and heal from trauma they've had and uh, 
So, yeah. I know we're wanting to complete, and I just wanted to ask one quick question because it's something that's always interests me, and I don't think we've talked about it. But I notice in in the US often breastfeeding is called nursing, and I've yes. always, and I've always been curious about whether I know a lot of. Uh, well, my understanding is that there was a lot of Puritan influence in in, in the settling, and the, you know, as the indigenous people were were. Uh, you know all the terrible things that happened there and the mm. and the puritans came over a lot and i'm wondering whether there was some part of that was again you know let's not use the the, the word breastfeeding because that's actually a woman's body and you know this the whole sinful bad stuff where uh, and i wondered if you know anything about the history of that term in america you know i don't i don't know about why the term nursing is used yes. but that's the first I, I like your theory i mean using you know the, Talking about the breast, the body yes. Yes. from the Puritan, from the Puritan point of view, that would have been taboo. Yes. Um, I, I don't know when it started being used. And, the, and nursing bottles was the term used for baby bottles, the first nursing bottles. Yes. Uh, glass, they were glass to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've looked it up and I've never really been able to find out much, so I thought you know, and maybe someone watching or listening might might know some. I'd love to hear. I'd also love to you know we were talking about indigenous cultures and the, the whole understanding of healing from stress and trauma, particularly through crying. And so, if anyone knows about any of that too, I, I, I would I'm really curious to hear. I always like to learn. So. Ah, anything else you want to say about the history or this, this whole journey that you've shared with us today? Um, I think just make, make the point that we've made in other conversation, other videos we've done that the, the attachment parenting movement is definitely a, 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 is going in the right direction, but we need to add the additional element of understanding stress release crying and allow babies to cry. So yes. it's, which may never have happened before in the history of humanity. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's that bit, isn't it? It's like, that's the, that's always the question, isn't it? People often ask me, did, did people used to do this? And it'd be wonderful if we could know the answer, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is evidence that in um, tribal cultures today, or the traditional, what's now called foraging cultures, yes. um, that there is the there was lots of lots of breastfeeding, lots of shushing with with breastfeeding, yes. um, and uh, not much tolerance for crying. Yes. There's even evidence that in some. Um, tribal cultures in Africa to wean the babies, they actually slap them to get them to stop breastfeeding. So, you know, just because it's a tribal culture doesn't mean they're doing everything right. And just because they're breastfeeding and baby wearing and co-sleeping. Um, so, yeah, we need to take what makes sense and, and reject what doesn't make sense. Yeah. And again, I think that's what you talk about so clearly in the wear baby that the human beings we're so adaptable and in every place in the world we've adapted to the the climate and the environment and the political structure and all of those things to you know to do what we can you know in the best possible ways but that you know it's it's really important to to understand that you know every every way is different and, that's, yeah. and has been affected by those bigger cultures mm -hmm. yeah yeah because for example, in the African where it's very hot, it's normal to 
to feed babies food. You don't want them to become dehydrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, the common cause of death is is dysentery and dehydration. And so, of course, you know, you're going to, if I lived in a very hot culture, I'd probably breastfeed my baby all the time, too, just so they would survive, you know. Yes. Um, so it's understandable, yeah. And in, and I remember reading from from you as well in um, indigenous cultures in very cold places where you know before nappies, where it was uh, communicating with the baby around when they needed to to wee again, much more helpful to to be breastfeeding less often, and, but less often. with with big big uh, feeds each time, so that you're not needing to to, yes. to, to go out yes. into the cold. <laughs> so they didn't have to undress them as much. Exactly. To James are yes. 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 Hmm. So fascinating. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alita. I would love to. Would you like to share? I mean, I know you're going to be sharing this on on your site, but for those people who are coming in other ways, would you like to share where people can find out more about your work and your books? Yeah. yeah. Aware Parenting Institute. Um, I have a website, awareparenting.com. Um, and I have, oh, you mentioned my books already. Yes. I don't mention those again. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. And I have a Facebook page, Aware Parenting Institute. It's the name of the Facebook page. Um, and you want to share your website? Uh, yes, mine is uh, marianrose.net. Yes. <laughs> and there are lots of Facebook um, discussion groups aware parenting discussion groups that you run some of them don't you other people run some of them yes yeah there is one major uh, free one that's still running which is called aware parenting in brackets based on the work of Alita Salter PhD so that's if anyone wants to to get some to have some conversations uh, that's that would be one to go to and you have lots of and you're on your YouTube channel. Yeah, not so much my YouTube, but yeah, I have lots of uh, videos and courses and kinds of things. Thank you for, for all, all your support. And the podcast uh, I have with Lael Stone, which is the Aware Parenting podcast. And I have my own one as well, which is just Marion Rose. Thank you for mentioning me. That's so lovely and touched. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And thank you to everyone who's watched or listened. And uh, lots of love and compassion to everyone. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Yeah.